Hi, hello, and welcome to the eleventh demonstration of the system. Uh, thank you very much for turning up last night, all those who did. I'm not a hundred percent sure how many people did actually, because there was one number on my screen, uh, and then another number in the meeting report afterwards, which was noticeably higher. And some of the people who thanked us for the show were definitely not on the meeting app, uh, and so who who knows. Uh, it's it's just a mystery, and I'm happy for it to remain that way. I think we can all agree that the MVP of the broadcast was either Gareth's cat or my friend Holly, who spent the podcast listening while she painted her wall, uh, which, which I, for one, found absolutely mesmeric. Uh, Holly has, by the way, the best taste of anyone I know. Uh, she has better taste than the eight next best-tasted people. In fact, added together, if you can do that with taste, Hollywood know. And I worry that this suddenly makes her sound like uh, her flat is all frou-frou or costs billions of pounds or uh, is is full of uh, high fashion items. But it really isn't. It's just that she has got perfect pitch. And in any just system, she would have a sideline as the world's greatest design consultant. And now I suddenly realise that I'm talking as if this is some kind of story that I'm setting off on and it will go somewhere, but I'm really not. I'm just rambling. But it is true about Holly. Uh, and so, I mean, if you need someone to redesign your flat or or your life or you uh, or your education system, in fact, and if you can find her, then maybe she can help. Today's first act is Matthew Parker. My uncle met his wife, my aunt, at school. They dated throughout sixth form, but went to different universities and only kept in loose touch. Then, shortly after he turned 30, my uncle was taken aside by the vicar at his local church, who told him that people were starting to think he might be a bit funny. My uncle promptly phoned his only ex-girlfriend, the woman who was to become my aunt, invited her to visit him, and within six months he'd proposed to her. They've been married, I think happily, for 40 years now and have three children and four grandchildren, who would not exist at all if, in 1980, my uncle had not felt the need to prove to 50 parishioners in Stoke-on-Trent that he was not, in his words, an homosexual. I'm about to turn 30, and although I haven't been forced into any conversations with the clergy, I have started to notice friends and family have begun asking me about my romantic life. It started happening around a year ago with my parents, but in the past three months it's come up with alarming frequency. People who previously showed absolutely no interest in if I was seeing anyone are suddenly asking me, out of context and with a rehearsed casualness, So, are you dating? It feels as though everyone I know had a picnic together late last year and decided to check that I'm not planning on dying alone. And it's not a plan exactly, but nor is it an outcome that would bother me especially. I am, roughly speaking, happy, and looking at some of my friends' partners, I don't feel like I'm missing out on that much. Even the ones I like, I wouldn't be keen on building a life with. Apart from possibly David, but I wouldn't do that to Joanne. The truth is that I'm a very shy person. It's a core part of my self-conception, to the extent that it's the only thing I can say with any confidence. I'm shy! I sometimes wonder if I should check in with a doctor, see if I have an anxiety disorder, but I'm worried that I'd just be told that I'm being melodramatic, and then I'd end up in some Oliver Sacks-style case history, the man who mistook his objectionable personality for a medical issue. 
and like I said, I basically feel fine. My friends may be worried about me, but in a lot of ways that's a good thing. They definitely text me back faster than they used to. The one thing really missing from my life right now is someone to do my admin for me. HMRC have made a small error and think I've underpaid my tax by a couple of hundred pounds. I haven't, but I'm sufficiently left-wing and racked with enough middle-class guilt to pay it anyway. But they've had me on hold for 45 minutes. I hate making telephone calls, and it's an especially bad time because I'm trying to give up smoking. I'm chewing nicotine gum, hard, my mouth swirling round and round like one of those old washing machines that housewives used to sit on in the 1950s. The hold music is The Four Seasons, a digitised polyphonic ringtone version rather than a proper recording, and it's really grating on me. Everything about this is stressing me out. The money, a bit, the music, a lot, but mainly the fact I'm going to have to speak to someone I don't know on the telephone, and on top of that they're going to think I'm a tax cheat. I can hear the blood in my ears, a squelching heartbeat getting faster and faster. I pop another piece of nicotine gum into my mouth, my third in as many minutes. I absentmindedly light a cigarette from the packet I bought to prove that I could resist temptation. I feel dizzy and sit down. I recognise this feeling, I know what's coming, and I really want to stay on hold until I manage to collect myself. Good afternoon, Erica speaking, how can I help? She begins speaking at the worst possible time. Over the phone, a person having a panic attack, all heavy breathing and not saying anything, sounds indistinguishable from a common or garden pervert. I know I have to say something, but I don't know what to say. I don't have the time to proffer a full explanation. It took me three minutes to explain it in full to you just now, and I don't have nearly enough breath to do that again. (laughs) Hello! I can barely speak, but I force the word out through coughs and dry heaves. I cannot think of anything else to say, so I just groan down the phone at her. She's a temp in her mid-twenties. She's probably doing a master's in something mathsy, let's say Bayesian statistics. She's been on shift for six hours. Most of them have been spent dealing with angry bastards in no mood to be reasonable with her. This is the last thing she needs. Uh, How can I help? she asks. (laughs) You can't, I say unthinkingly, then realising she's probably offering to help with my taxes rather than my panic attack. I say, no, no, taxes, right, yes, you can help. She puts me on hold for a second. I assume so that she can complain about me to her colleague or make sure that it's being recorded for any complaint she wants to make to her manager. The four seasons starts up again, then cuts off abruptly. Thank you for waiting. Erica's back. She sounds professional, but irritated. I'm sorry if I sound strange. I cough. Being attacked by a dog. A dog? She asks. I can tell she doesn't believe me, that she reckons I've got my trousers around my ankles getting kicks from the bureaucracy of it all. Yeah, I say, a small one. Jack Russell, maybe. Or a crossbreed. I don't want her worrying about me, on the off chance she's buying any of it. She's silent for a bit, and I'm not saying anything either. I debate the merits of making a growling noise for realism, but figure that I don't have the vocal range for it. I feebly muttered down boy, and throw a mug against the wall to imply chaos. Finally, she says, Do you have a national insurance number? I do. It's written on the payslip in front of me. But my vision's too blurry to make it out, and I don't have it committed to memory, so I talk about the dog some more. It belongs... (laughs) my neighbour. It came through the... the cat flap. I don't have a cat flap. I'm proud of myself for coming up with such a brilliant lie under pressure, but it's not enough to calm me down. And there's this sweaty Niagara pouring down my back and being soaked up by the top of my underwear. It feels all claggy, and a forgotten memory resurfaces of this time when I was six and I wet myself and then put my trousers on backwards thinking no one would notice. There's nothing she'd like more than to swear loudly down the phone at me, but she's nice, so instead she offers to call me back in half an hour. I can tell she's gritting her teeth because she suddenly turned into an amateur ventriloquist, 
unable to pronounce her B's or F's. Nevertheless, her tone is sympathetic, and I feel like we'd definitely be friends if it weren't for the fact that she's in Bradford and I live in London, and also that she can say with 75% confidence that I'm the sort of person who masturbates down the phone at civil servants. A number that would be much higher if she hadn't been taught never to neglect the base rate. I spit out the 11 digits she needs, resolving to compose myself for when she calls back. I'm going to be a personification of wit and charm. A straighter Oscar Wilde, maybe. Or a gayer Tom Hanks. I ring off and say thank you at the same time, then stagger to the bathroom and hurl up anything my body can spare. I heave and heave and heave, keeping a beat like the world's most disgusting metronome. I sit by the toilet, relieved. I do the breathing exercises I learned watching a documentary about pregnant ladies, and for a brief moment I'm calm, happy, triumphant even. Because the next time someone asks me if I'm seeing anyone, I can tell them no, but a very nice girl did just ask for my number. Thank you, Matthew. It's like he's in the room, but he isn't because that would be against government advice. A question that a few of you were kind enough to ask about last night was, are we going to release the recording of the live broadcast, which I didn't know it was obvious I was making. I was only making it because I discovered early on that I could. So I did. It seemed might as well. But following usual tall tales practice, We do not release recordings. This is first drafts of stuff that we are putting in front of people, and it gives us a safe space if it isn't recorded for public dissemination. Now, eagerly-eared listeners will notice that the existence of the podcast is sort of a counterexample to that, but life is about inconsistency. On the subject of recordings, we are probably going to run out of Mighty Finn songs, which we have recorded well enough to put on here relatively soon. That's just the nature of these things. But I really like putting on a song every day. And we are considering a system of getting cover versions of Mighty Finn songs from people. And we will be giving you more information on that as and when it comes. If you have particular songs you want to sing, tell us about it and we'll consider it. Today's song is one of my particular favourites. It is the scene-setting song from the start of Diary of a Provincial Lady.
adaptation to different soil. I care about soil. Soil is destiny. was Jane Whittaker and Simon Kane. The song, obviously, as always was, almost always was by Susanna Pierce. And that's us for today. Be good and good to each other. Tall tales out.